everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Lost Hero. How you doing, Jane? Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm feeling well. I've got a, a little feather for a podcast cap. Oh? Uh, I got an assessment back today, uh, and the commentary for that assessment, I, I spent a good chunk of it rubbishing the Red Pyramid. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, got so, a good, I got a good grade on that assessment. <laughs> you got a good grade in podcasting. Exactly. I, I would say that uh, this podcast's opinions about the Kane Chronicles are now academically validated, they're peer-reviewed, uh, and they're objective facts. Fuck yes. <laughs> How are you, Jacqueline? Uh, you know, I'm doing all right. I had my first day at my new job yesterday, uh, so I am... Entering a new stage of my life, I guess. I'm becoming a new Jacqueline. One who washes dishes. I mean, I already Can't did that at home. you never washed a dish before. No, 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 no. <laughs> I already did that at home. I like washing dishes, but now I put them in a machine, too. Well, they, they say if you like what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I, hmm. I don't know it's about this It's probably bullshit. <laughs> it definitely yeah. doesn't apply to uh, any kind of uh, low-wage labor. Yeah. Yeah, man. But speaking of, like, low wages, I guess. Well, speaking of high wages. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of the big bucks, should we get into these chapters? We should. All right, Jane, you want to give us those summaries? Uh, I shall. Uh, These are long. I'm just going to warn you in advance. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay, chapter 29, Leo. The gang book it away from Chicago as fast as they can, but Medea doesn't come after them. This is for the best because now they have bigger problems. Festus is making concerning noises as he lugs all three kids, plus the cages, with the storm spirits and Coach Hedge, who it turns out they didn't leave to perish in the fire. The gang are all pretty messed up from the experience, as Leo worries that all the hurtful things said between him and Jason have a kernel of truth to them. Even more distressing than that, Leo also realises that his mother's death was, indirectly, Medea's fault. She was an oracle, so the dirt piss woman must have used her to figure out that Leo would be one of the seven demigods, and moved to kill his mother to break him off the back of that information. Being Leo, he still finds a way to blame himself for it, concluding that his mother only died because of what he may do someday. Nonetheless, he feels a kind of sick joy at knowing that he might have killed one of the people responsible, and sent her back to the fields of punishment. However, this also gets him thinking. If Medea came back, could his mum also return? The trio discuss their next move. They'll need to put down soon because Festus sounds awful. Jason and Leo don't remember much from being bewitched, but they do remember Medea telling Piper something about Oakland and her father. Piper just flatly refuses to engage with that discussion and insists that they head onto Aeolus to drop off the storm spirits. Jason suggests they just keep following the big glowing line in the sky, which is weird to Leo and Piper, who can see no such thing. But Jason is dead ass that there's a huge line that they've been following and that he just figured everyone else could see. They try to talk to Piper about her dad again, and she goes to sleep instead of addressing it. And Jason offers to take the reins so that Leo can do the same. In his dreams, Leo gets a magical pirate radio broadcast from Hephaestus, who shut up in his workshop on Olympus. Leo is furious with him for never reaching out before, and Hephaestus admits that he's never been good with children or people generally, but that he's kept an eye on Leo through the years more indirectly. Leo's still angry, but this deflates him a little, as he definitely feels he can relate to that. Hephaestus lays out why Olympus is shut up. We hear again about how embarrassed Zeus was about relying on demigods to win the war, and that part of what triggered the current temper tantrum was Percy sticking two middle fingers up at Zeus's offer of godhood, before giving him parenting advice. This apparently did not go over well. The hope also appeared to be that closing Olympus and not interfering with Earth would prevent the giants from waking up, which also hasn't worked, uh, and Hephaestus re-explains the previous Titan and Giant Wars from the top, from Gaia and Uranus to Olympus's ultimate victory. Hephaestus believes that whatever Hera is up to, uniting the demigods is the only way to survive the oncoming storm. The timing of claiming Leo and giving him the gift of fire were all part of preparing him for this very thing, and for taking on the giant's leader, who he tells Leo that he's already mentioned. He also ominously warns Leo that no machine can last forever, but that everything can be reused, before Leo wakes up to find the gang once again in freefall and Festus not responding. Chapter 30, Leo. Leo tells Jason to grab Piper and bail while he tries to fix Festus. 
He puts the dragon into a steep glide, aiming at the city below in a huge field outside the mansion. It almost looks like he might manage it, when suddenly shots ring out from around the mansion's walls and Festus is shredded by tracer rounds. The wreckage and Leo crash in a heap on the grass, and Leo is knocked unconscious. When he wakes up, he finds to his horror that Festus is stone dead. The control disc in his head is fried, and the damage from the gunfire is catastrophic. Uh, Leo sits with Piper and Jason around the dragon's corpse as it creaks and whines before realising that it's actually creaking in Morse code, like he used to communicate with his mother. Festus asks Leo to ensure that he's reused, and Leo obliges, asking for Hephaestus' blessing to carry the head back to Bunker 9 in Camp Half-Blood. Jason and Piper explain that they're in Omaha, Nebraska, and that while they've gotten into the mansion complex, they can't get out. Festus ate all the lead from the automated turrets on the walls while Jason flew in. But if they try to leave that way, they'll get minced. With no other choice, they head inside the mansion. Chapter 31. Jason. The trio make their way towards the house, Leo disarming more traps as they go. With no way out of the compound and snow driving down, they'll need to break in and take shelter if they don't want to freeze to death. Jason, God bless him, tries again to get Pipe to tell him what's going on with her dad, and she once again refuses to say anything, and he worries that the gang is starting to come apart at the seams. The inside of the house has fewer booby traps, so the kids set down the cages with Coach Hedge in the venti, and settle down to crash on the couches in the ostentatiously decorated living room. Leo finds that his fire doesn't work in the house also. Piper pretends to be asleep to avoid any further confrontations, and Leo and Jason have a little bro-to-bro chat about what happened in Medea's department store, to clear the air between them. They head to bed, painfully aware that the solstice is only a day away. The next day, Jason wakes up to a scream as Leo has finally picked the lock on Coach Hedge's cage and freed him from being time-frozen. He's a bit kill-crazy and has to be brought up to speed on what's happening. He also realises that everything in the room, from the furniture to the decor to the tea set on the coffee table, is made of gold. While he's reeling from this, a door opens in the house's owner, an old man in a white bathrobe, sees them. Coach Hedge does the obvious thing and tries to murder him. Maybe I went too detailed on these. <laughs> Chapter 32, Jason. The kids hold Hedge back while the old guy's son, Lipieses, a young guy covered in scars and wearing a sleeveless tank top, runs in. They agree not to kill each other and the old man introduces himself as King Midas. They sit down and Midas explains that, like Medea, he's been dredged up from Tartarus. He also explains that he never actually lost his powers or learned his lesson, as in the original story. He can just reverse his mistakes by exposing gold to running water now. In fact, he's been using his powers to create huge amounts of gold for people to invest in, which is how he can afford the fancy house and automated sentry turrets. He even turns Piper's bag into gold to show how cool his powers are, which has the side effect of enchanting it so that you can hold all the wind spirits and the kids no longer have to lug around the other cage. However, while this is kinda cool, things quickly turn dark when Midas mentions that he initially cured his daughter like in the story. He later changed his mind and froze her again for talking too much. He did the same to his barber when he noticed that Midas had been cursed with the ears of a donkey by Apollo. Finally, he admits that he was deliberately resurrected by a certain patron who he's been bankrolling, while Yeses, a swordsman so skilled that he's named the Reaper of Men, is also in their service. He also lets slip that the hunters of Artemis were here looking for Percy, and also some evil wolves, which Jason suspects might be the same ones that surrounded Hera in his dream. The kids decide to leave, but Midas says that if they're not going to invest in his gold, they'll be added to his portfolio, and turns Leo and Piper to gold in quick succession. Jason asks for the honour of dueling Lityerses to the death instead of being goldified, and Midas accepts. Jason sneakily locks, knocks Lityerses down next to Midas, who tries to help his kid up without thinking, turning him to gold. Midas, now enraged, charges Jason, who responds by calling down a huge blast of lightning right on top of the solid gold house. The roof is blasted apart, and Midas is pinned beneath a chandelier as freezing rain pours into the new hole, and frees all of his victims. Jason covers Lityeses with a rug to stop him from changing back, before bailing with Leo, Piper, and Coach Hedge, leaving Midas to his fate. <sighs> so, what do you think of these chapters? You know, I didn't realize how detailed these chapters were until I heard these, these summaries. <laughs> uh, you know, they were they were pretty good. I these were perfectly serviceable chapters. That's that's really interesting. I mean, like I don't mean that in a diminishing way. I just I thought they were pretty good. I think these are probably my favorite set of chapters in Lost Hero so far, which might be why I went overboard on the summaries. Oh shit! Okay, well I want to hear your thoughts then. Uh yeah I. The, the first thing that I really like about them is, to go back to the first chapter, everything we get from Leo, 
like in his like internal monologue in the wake of the Medea thing, I think just gives a lot of a lot of depth to his character and makes me a lot empathize with him a lot more than I did already. Okay. Uh, I I think the the big thing that stuck out to me about this is that this is the first time in these books that um like the protagonists have one hundred percent killed a mortal. Like they've screwed them over before with Cersei and stuff in the Sea of Monsters. But, like, this time they blew one up and killed one. Uh, and Leo is kind of, on some level, glad that it happened. Yeah, that's really true. I noticed that the interesting thing here is that it's really going in depth with, like, Leo grappling with that. And also, like, him at the same time using that knowledge and trying to, like, twist himself into knots to still blame himself for his mother's death. That yeah, that is so good. It's it's such a good like depiction of that kind of self loathing and anxiety. Yeah, um, it's. I actually found it kind of non challenging myself to not say interesting so much this week. Uh, <laughs> it, it was intriguing. Intriguing to me that neither mortal we've seen so far was like directly murdered i mean they were murdered by our heroes but neither was directly <laughs> killed by them one was left to explode and the other was left to be torn apart by statue people i feel like wait was it not i guess it was kind of an accident with the department store fire but i just mean like piper didn't like stab medea in the heart <laughs> and like watch her disintegrate or anything like that yeah definitely it's tends to be how these things go i super agree i think that leo really gets fleshed out here he's becoming maybe my favorite character in this book it's hard i really like all these kids yeah i've i've definitely come around hard on leo from where i was initially like i think he's also probably like after this probably the character with just the most depth like i just like that he he has these feelings about what happened to medea and then he has that kind of guilt and shame about that, but can't stop himself from feeling it. I like that he has feelings about his feelings. Yeah, like like real people do. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of astounding. I, th- I think the other aspect of this that is really helping Leo's character is just like the slow and sad death of Festus. God, yeah. No, this is genuinely heart-wrenching. Because it's kind of obvious from as soon as they're in the air that Festus is not going to be able to, like, last forever. Oh, yeah, no, there is an expiration date on this giant flying dragon. And Leo just beating himself to hell because he can't fix it, he can't fully fix Festus, is just, it's it's heartbreaking, like you say. I, I, I will say there's one positive thing, though. Oh? Um, we no longer have to do what's happened, I think, three times now, uh, (laughs) which is, uh, them flying in the air, suddenly falling out of the air, we crash landed, oops, now we're at the new, we're at the new villain. I think that's, that's happened twice, but it has also had the very specific thing both times of, um, like, one of the kids is asleep, having a plot-relevant dream, and then wakes up and they're already falling. Uh huh. Well, yeah. I guess they didn't fall into the the Borean Castle mm-hmm. or whatever. They they sort of landed there, but it has similar vibes. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. Even if it is just the two, it is like beat for beat the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so I will mourn Festus. Uh, although Leo does intriguingly fuck. I don't want to replace interesting with intrigue. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Leo does actually save Festus's head for some reason. That's going to get put on the front of his flying boat. I'm calling it now. That's going to be like the figurehead at the front. I mean, I think we literally got, during when blue, uh, Leo saw those blueprints in the cave, like, oh, the, the masthead saw seemed exactly like Festus, that, like that kind of thing. Oh, really? I'd forgotten I about think, that. I'm pretty sure. So I, I would agree that I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. I, I believe you so much that I'm not going to go back and check. I appreciate you so much. <laughs> One thing uh, that Leo says here is that he's like, oh, what if I went and brought my mom back from the underworld? <laughs> now, <laughs> now, this this sounds a little bit familiar. 
This 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 does indeed keep happening. This will keep happening if you kill a kid's parents and then introduce them to the concept of the afterlife. Yeah, I mean, the 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 turn being that Leo then immediately says like, "No, that's that's stupid. I couldn't I couldn't do that. That's like a natural." It's he literally says like, "It's Frankenstein thinking," which is a great line. <laughs> I'm glad but... Leo understands enough narrative tropes to know that this would never end well. No, Coach Hedge is alive. Speaking of people, life or death. Okay, in our defense, it literally did not say that they grabbed him in the last set of chapters. It looked like they just left him to die. We checked every single page. He <laughs> did not fucking get mentioned at all. I guess Rick Riordan just assumed that we would assume. Uh, but we did I not assume. He he assumed that we wouldn't think that uh, the kids would just like leave their mentor to die. Because that'd be a fucked up thing to assume, I guess. I guess I, we, I, our, our special twisted brand of analysis really, really <laughs> sort of diverted us there from the truth. I suppose Coach Hedge isn't. He's he's a he's a funny little addition here. Uh, so far, my my impression of Coach Hedge is that he seems to be mostly just kind of getting in the way. He's he's pretty one note and pretty just like oh I am an obstacle. Uh, he's the obstacle in the party that you wanted last time. I technically you are correct. I guess a uh, uh, monkey's poor finger has curled. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He he sure likes to hit things and eat grass. He says die. Maybe he is senile. This is possible. He's he's an old satyr. That'd be such a sad fucking ending. What if he's just it's just like the same thing with Festus, like he's slowly dying the whole way. Or just like they get back to camp and it's revealed that like Coach Hedge was sent on an easy mission because he doesn't actually have it in him anymore. Uh and he just like has to choose, like like, come on, old man, let's bring you back to the flowers, like that kind of thing. Just look at the flowers, Coach Hedge. Oh god, this is so sad. <laughs> the other scene that I think really shows off Leo's character here is the one with Hephaestus. I I love this shit. Yeah. Do you do you want to go first with, with your thoughts on it? Yeah, this is him just immediately tearing Hephaestus a new one. Yeah. Like <laughs> he just fucking goes in and he does not stop until he realizes like, damn, this actually doesn't feel good. Like I was hoping it would feel good, but this, this is just weird. Yeah, he just doesn't get that, like, satisfying revenge that he clearly wanted. Which is kind of a familiar beat. Like, I think we often... This is something that... In a series that deals with, like, troubling parent-child relationships, there have been a couple instances of, like, the child wants to finally tell off their parent, but just, like, can't quite do it in a way that mm. satisfies them. Although I think there there is something um, that we haven't really gotten with the main character before here. Which is, like, the instant similarities between um, uh, Hephaestus and Leo. I think they're a lot stronger than we've had with, like, the, any of the demigods in Percy Jackson and the Olympian. Definitely. Like, because it's not just, like, similar mannerisms that they have. They have, like, similar characters as well. Like, Leo empathizes with um, Hephaestus' inability to deal with people. Honestly, this is really charming to me. Like, I am super glad that these parallels were made. Just because, like, this series is not... This is a series about, like, a bunch of, like, neurodivergent kids, like, going on adventures. Mm -hmm. And this specifically being, like, a point on which they relate to each other is really good. I think that it makes Hephaestus seem a lot more, I guess, familiar. Or, like, it makes him feel, like, more of a, like an, a human being, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah, and it also, like... It doesn't excuse the way that he's treated Leo, but it does mean that, like, we're primed to sympathize with him a bit more because there is an actual rationale for why he did what he did, as opposed to most of the gods who will say, uh, Oracle told me not to, lol. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, oh, there's actually something really interesting at this part that I, I, I keyed on to. Oh? Did you notice the part where uh, Hephaestus, like, talks about how God split into a bunch of a bunch of selves at once and they're all over yeah. the they can be all over the place. This to me is less of a Percy Jackson thing and more of a Kane Chronicles thing. Oh yeah, I guess that did come up quite a lot in Kane Chronicles. 
Yeah, in fact, I think specifically like in the Red Pyramid, which I'm pretty sure was being written around the same time, or at least came out in very similar times, mm-hmm. uh, there's an entire point where Set is uh, sort of challenging Carter and being like, hey, you know, you have this piece of a god inside of you, but also residing like a million other places. You're not like special here. Yeah, although I think this has actually come up in uh, Percy Jackson the Olympian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... Um... In the last Olympian, when Dionysus like drags Percy to that um, like shitty dive bar, while he's like playing Pac-Man, because one aspect of him is at this party that's going on there, and another part of him is fighting uh, Typhon at the minute. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, I. Or wait, is that true? Or did he? I thought what happened was that he got knocked out of the battle and like fell there. I I thought it was um, different aspect thing. Hmm. I can't quite remember. It's fine either way. I mean, either way, it's just some nice connective tissue between like the way that these uh, mythologies work in these books. Yeah, I, I, I just was like, oh, well, this is the fact that they're both being brought up at such similar points. And he's like, oh, this is something that Rick Riordan was like thinking about while writing these. Like, yeah, the, definitely. The multiplicity of gods. Speaking of uh, things being written at the same time as Kane Chronicles, uh-huh. uh huh. I, I did get. Well, just kind of confirmation the other day that um, specifically, like, I was listening to, I think, the Best Damn Podcast. Okay. Because I've been just, I've been listening to the competition. I've been scoping them out. Okay. Uh, And they were talking about how specifically Throne of Fire and Son of Neptune were written at exactly the same time. Gotcha. Like, simultaneously. And that sure does explain a lot about Throne of Fire. (laughs) It really does. We we sure clocked that without really knowing the exact production histories. I really hope that means that Son of Neptune got the good end of the stick and not that both suffered. Yeah, this is, this is the, the hope that we have had throughout Kane Chronicles, and I think it's mostly been justified so far. Yeah. Was that Rick was giving his all to Heroes of Olympus, and that made Kane Chronicles suffer. I mean, if if Red Pyramid and The Lost Hero were also being written at similar times, my guess would be like, I wonder if the Red Pier. If, sorry, I wonder if maybe the thing that both of these books suffered from was just like a little bit less editing than they should have gotten. Ooh, that yeah, that makes sense because these are both like chunky compared to the the PG. Yeah, and Red Pyramid is like obviously a mess uh, mm-hmm. in ways that could have easily been fixed by just like a very thorough editing job. I feel like yeah, and sort of the fact that that didn't happen spiraled into something bigger listen to arcane chronicles coverage if you haven't already (laughs) and this is like a a well-paced book so far but it just is so much bigger than everything else that i wonder if like it just was like okay well here's the book a little bit of editing and go on it's well-paced apart from the bit where like the same thing apparently got copy pasted twice Uh (laughs) uh-huh you know this is an entirely different topic uh, going back to the Festus conversation, I there is something going on here. You, you actually, yeah, you sent me an ominous uh, message about this, where you said that you're going to need to talk about the implications of Hephaestus having a pirate radio station. Specifically, the implications that it's called Hephaestus Free Radio. We've talked about uh, Asia Free Radio before on here. Oh yeah, uh, which is. <laughs> Which I think I think that was also during the Kane Chronicles. I don't yeah, know what the fuck is because the uh, Kwai was sent to North Korea or something. Yeah, and uh, I I basically explained what Asia Free Radio is in general. Like, if you see something that is like blank free radio, uh, what this very literally and publicly is is like the CIA is doing quote unquote news. Oh, uh, it, it's I like, didn't know about this. Yeah, it, this is this is what Asia Free Radio is. This is what very the all, it it indicates that it is like a CIA backed slash created thing. You just find that you can find that on Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty well out there. Uh, it was Hephaestus funded by the CIA during the during the fucking Cold War. I either that or like hephaestus was like running the cia he's like the patron god of the cia that's terrifying (laughs) i don't like that okay but that that raises the other issue that like if he was running this pirate radio broadcast from olympus and zeus didn't like it 
Does that mean that the Zeus was a Soviet asset? Oh my fucking god! <laughs> Damn, base Zeus. <laughs> oh man, uh, god, just like on the wild things happening. Jason can see chemtrails. I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I I do love that that moment where um. He just is like, you guys can't see that as well. We were following it. I assumed everyone could see it. I just didn't think to mention it. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, just a, it's just a funny little comedy of errors. Zeus isn't entirely based here. When I say he's quite unbased, uh, because he, I think there was a, like at the beginning of this book or maybe the end of the last series or like the end of the the last Olympian or something, we talked about how like the directions that this could go and how the pact would hold up and what that would mean for like the tone of the series going forward. Uh-huh. I think we specifically called out like, oh, well, they couldn't just make it so that like Zeus is trying to recant on it or anything like that, because that would like drastically, that would make this so much darker and make the plot entirely different. Uh, that That's exactly what's happening now. It seems like 100% what he did. <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of got to hand it to Rick for having the balls to go through with that. Yeah, for sure. Like, so far, it doesn't seem like it's going to be... I think we predicted, like, a Percy going Kratos mode. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, I mean, who knows what the future holds. I I do love that Hephaestus' explanation of what happened is essentially Percy was so impertinent that he is... His impertinence has cascaded into another five-book series. (laughs) God, yeah. Oh, man. Back to Leo... The thing that really caps off this moment with him as, like, just the uh, really going through it is that he kind of decides that if he died with Festus, it would be fine. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're falling out of the air, and he's just like, okay, well, you two get off, and I will stay on here and do my best to fix it, but who knows what'll happen. And the, the death scene with Festus is also. It really hammers home how attached he was that he was willing to do that. I think also like making making the uh, making him speak Morse code, genius move. It's the it's the it's the fucking the connections the parallels the everything. Like it, it's simultaneously like oh that's really heartbreaking because it reminds him of his mom another situation which he feels like he fucked up, uh, and also is just like a clever way to have the dragon communicate it without it seeming really weird that it's talking suddenly. Uh huh. <laughs> and then. What happens afterwards is that Leo turns into a Dungeons and Dragons style rogue, I guess. He, yeah, he does. He just kind of fucking turtles on ahead of them, disarming all the traps. It's you know, you know I guess that's a interesting like direction for his character to go. I wonder if he'll multi class. Yeah, he's also, I don't want to do D and D jokes. No, this, this <laughs> fucking sucks. <laughs> uh. I think that's that's pretty much everything from the Leo chapters. Uh, the Jason chapters, not as rich with shit to dig into, but also really good, I think. Agreed. Just, I mean, first off, King Midas. Bringing, bringing back uh, a figure of Greek mythology, putting him in the 21st century, and having him do something as banal as becoming like a scam artist who sells people gold investments... Is just like that. This is exactly what I want from a Rick Ryden book. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> like, first of all, we're finally getting like one of the most iconic characters of Greek mythology, and this is just like like this is perfect for him. Uh, the the stupidest joke in these chapters that made me fucking scream when I realized like <laughs> I was just like, God, I hate this fuck. Like very affectionately, like God, I hate this book. Um, uh huh. When he's talking to Laertes. And Midas is like, so so why do we pick Omaha again? And Lyrus is like, oh, there's an oracle. And uh, Midas is like, oh, yes, I was told there was an oracle in Omaha. Uh, but I thought that was we- kind of weird. That didn't come up again. <laughs> this is a, this is, I've, I'm going to ask you to Google, you and the listeners right now, Google the words Oracle of Omaha. Warren Buffett broke up with most of his beloved banks. So why is he swooning over this one? Uh, so Oracle of Omaha is a, is the moniker for the the very rich man Warren Buffett. Oh, God, fucking damn it! 
I, I was also like, wait, why didn't this come up again? Am I like missing something? And I, so I just had to like, I, I had to do a very quick Google search and what came up made my brain fucking break. <laughs> but it's so good that Midas in the modern day is just like a stereotypical like Midwestern rich guy, like who also installs laser beams, I guess, as a security system. He's, yeah, he's just like an unhinged rich person. I There is also another like like slightly subtler joke running through this that I found very funny. Uh-huh. Which was like, th- this is so obviously a scam because the gold is like fool's gold, basically. Like if you, if you were the Federal Reserve and you bought uh, all of your gold reserves from Midas, you put them in a vault, uh, and then a toilet on the floor above leaks. Uh-huh. The economy will fucking tank. I I question the definition used here of running water. It does just seem to be any water. Because it's like is I thought running water specifically referred to like a river. That's what I thought as well, yeah. But I guess it also refers to rain here. Well, what is rain except a uh, river but in the sky? You know, that's that's a brilliant thing you've said. <laughs> yeah, like the you're right that this is just great. Like it's, it's very funny. The entire like mental image of everything happening, because well, first of all, it's kind of like oh, they're they're walking through this dark, scary metal house, and suddenly they realize that all the metal is like gold, and it's like oh fuck, you know exactly who was about to show up. <laughs> and Midas shows up in all his glory, in like a fucking snork me 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 like stereotypical old sleeping man outfit with his little cap with his little sleeping cap and his robes and it's just like the entire time they're talking to jason jason is just like i really hope i don't see his dick and balls i really hope i don't see his dick and balls (laughs) yeah he's just sat there worrying that midas is gonna fucking basic instinct him Oh God! I, I I can't help picturing Midas as um, Danny DeVito, like specifically as Frank from It's Always Sunny, uh-huh. just like wallowing around in his little bathrobe, handing out his gold pamphlets to people. It's just he yeah. has that that perfectly weird, grotty little rich man energy. It's it's horrible. I love it. What happens if he puts on a condom? I guess it just like it freezes in whatever form he picks it up in. I guess so. So I guess I guess bareback only. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, I guess he couldn't have sex at all. Oh yeah, I guess. Oh yeah. <laughs> God, poor guy. No wonder he's no wonder he's so fucked up. I did, I mean, he has he had a daughter, but I guess that was before the curse, wasn't it? Yeah. And a son too. We can't we can't count out Lyerses. I, I repeatedly forgot that Lyerses was in these pages. I mean, the thing is, is that he is not much of a character at all. He's gotten like, oh, big scary fighter man a few times. Um, what he is good for is a vehicle to like show off Jason's solo stuff. Yeah, definitely. I, I really love the explanation of like, you know, yes, he's a figure from Greek myth. So he is completely caught off guard by someone using like Roman combat. Right. It's, just, it's, like, a, it's a good way to explain why Jason stands a chance. You get the impression that, like, if anyone else had fought him, they would have been fucking immediately killed. Oh, but just, he would like, have been impaled. Yeah, but, like, Jason just, like, does not have the same strategies to him. He's hardwired with Legion training, is what he says. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. I hope, we get, I hope we get a lot more of, like, this differentiation of their fighting styles as the time goes on. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of Jason, uh, cool fighting styles, I just feel like this book in general is really great at giving us, like, cool action scene character moments. Mm-hmm. Like, we had Leo dropping that fucking engine on the, uh, the Cyclope's head and just killing it. Right. And now we have Jason in a solid gold house just being like, hey, guess what? I have lightning powers. And fucking burning everything to the ground. It's the, It's so cool. It's very, like x-men the first movie in a way but like a good version of that i was i think you might just be x-men brained at the minute well i mean there's the there's the iconic line where storm is like do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning same thing (laughs) that happens to everything else and jason basically just says that you know i never even thought that line was particularly dumb 
It's not. I, I honestly kind of People like it. People seem to have a huge problem with it, and I don't know why. It's fun. I think it's fun. Yeah. But it, it does have the same vibes as Jason being like, you know, what's another good use for gold. It's an excellent conductor of electricity, but also so fucking cool. Uh, yeah, definitely. I also love that he does this cool thing and then just like grabs a rug and throws it over the Yassies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this makes no sense. The idea that like gold trumps magic. Yeah, that, that was. It's not explained in any way. I think Rick just wanted an excuse for Leo not to use his firepowers. Uh huh. I mean, it's kind of OP, I guess. Mm-hmm. It at the same time, it kind of it kind of makes the fact that per- Piper is able to like completely calm the conflict down and like make everyone stop killing each other, like really early on, more interesting because that's not her using her charm speak. That's just her doing that. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Damn, good job, Piper. Hell yeah, Piper. She's sleeping a lot lately. She's not. She She's is not. lying awake, staring at a space thinking, oh fuck, oh shit, oh god, oh fuck. And trying desperately not to address any of this. But she is pretending to sleep a lot lately, so we're getting mm-hmm. a lot of like Jason Leo scenes. I I do love the way that uh Piper's like dilemma is being portrayed. Cause the what I was expecting was kind of her like being really conflicted. And having to do, like, sneaky spy stuff in the background. Uh, and what it actually is, is her just flatly refusing to acknowledge that anything is going on while everything gets worse and worse around her. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's what would happen if you put a 15-year-old in this kind of situation. Incredibly realistic. <laughs> it makes you feel incredibly bad for her. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not the kind of thing that feels like she's going to do some big betrayal. It's like... The reason she's there is that Piper and Leo will notice she's acting weird and will then be like, well, your dad's your dad needs help, obviously. Let's go to save your dad. <laughs> the trap isn't that like she's going to like lead them there lying. They're going to lead themselves there to help her. You know, I hadn't actually thought about that, but you're right. That probably is what the actual plan was. I just assumed that um, Encel- Enceladus fucked up. <laughs> That's probably like, also true. <laughs> I guess we don't know how how clever these 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 giants are. Yeah, I guess, I guess it. Hmm. Because Kronos was already kind of like the master manipulator by. Uh huh. So it might it might be interesting to get something else. And I don't necessarily mean that like that is the move being made by the villains. I just mean that like this is the narrative trajectory happening. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, for like sure. this. Like, this is why Piper is interesting as a, like, mole or betrayer. Or a person who is supposed to do those things but doesn't really and mostly just sleep. Uh-huh. What do you think of the way that, like, Midas just goes sicko mode? Uh, I really like it. Yeah. Mostly just because, like, it, it feeds into my reading of him, which I'm not certain is intentional, which is just, like, him being like, if you're not an investor in my stuff, you are just one of the products. Uh-huh. Like, you, you're one of the people whose jobs I will bet against on the stock exchange and, like, put out of business to make some money. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good call, actually. And it's so, like, quick and terrifying because, like, Piper just tries to go back to doing her thing and, like, you know, tries to calm everything down. But he just, like, in the course of, like, a few sentences, has both her and Leo turned to gold. It's fast and scary and really, like, makes the conflict so, so very well, like, lined out. Like, oh, Jason is fucking dead if he doesn't do something. Yeah, for sure. And it, it also, like, it really plays well on the um, the tensions that we've been getting where, like, Jason is worried that the group is falling apart. And, uh, oh, look, now here he is on his own because the rest of the group is dead. Exactly. I will, I will say one thing about these chapters, which is kind of a negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the overarching plot is completely paper thin. <laughs> I've yeah. completely forgotten about it. I, I'd forgotten there was even a time limit. It really doesn't feel like it needs to be here. N- no. Like, apparently it's ending tomorrow? I guess. There's really not been a good sense of progression towards that. We still have like 10 chapters left also. <laughs> Maybe they're gonna have to make make friends with uh, a very short god and then trade his soul for some more time. 
I it would be so funny if just like nobody read the fucking Kane Chronicles. So <laughs> like he just keeps recycling these plot points that he's already done into either or series. I reckon he could get away with it. Probably. If if I listen to numbers or anything to go by, people care less about the Kane Chronicles. Uh-huh. Those those are good episodes though. Those are good episodes. You should listen to those. Oh, uh, there was another little thing that I really liked in the um, the Hephaestus stream. Who was that? Which is there's there's a little little, little riot and trope deployed here that I usually find quite annoying. Where like the character of says some cryptic stuff and then refuses to explain themselves further. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> it's it makes sense here because um, I'm assuming that the master of the giants is Gaia, right? I mean, it certainly sounds like it. Yeah, like, that's that's something that you can kind of pick up from context from what Hephaestus is saying. But he doesn't say it outright, and Leo doesn't realize. And so it's just, you know, it's because Hephaestus is socially maladjusted and spends most of his time indoors watching Aphrodite and Ares. Uh Uh-huh. That, like, he doesn't know how to communicate these things. So it actually makes sense that he is not, like, divulging that information properly. I just thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I mean, he does, he literally says, like, the earth bore the giants. Like, that probably yeah. isn't, that probably is enough for him personally to be like, yeah, of course I told you. Yeah, he doesn't know people and he knows the history back to front and doesn't understand why someone else wouldn't. It's just, it's a nice thing. Right, like, to him, the earth is Gaia. Like, that's just, yeah. like, his family. It's, yeah, I agree. This is an example of something that would normally be annoying, but is definitely, like, leavened. Also lightened by the fact that, like, the channel keeps changing to Wheel of Fortune. That is very funny. I do like that. I, and, like, I think, like, he, like, says that, and then it just, like, cuts to Wheel of Fortune, someone going, aww, and, like, someone <laughs> missing the, getting the bankrupt on the wheel. And that's, that's some clever little, that's, that's a funny little bit. I think Rick watches Wheel of Fortune. He's old. I mean, probably. I watch Wheel of Fortune sometimes. All right. Not I like I didn't know that you were old. <laughs> I'm. I am the old woman of the podcast. This is true. You're like a year older than me. I. I think if so. That. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I. I have one last observation. I think. Oh, what's that? Uh, which is uh, I. I reckon. Well, basically, I don't. I don't feel as bad about the fact that some of our episodes have been coming up a little bit short recently. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because you know we usually go four chapters at a time, uh, and that's that's often been a little bit insufficient recently. Uh, but also, I feel like Rick Ryden feels the same way. I reckon that's why the chapter titles have been dropped because sometimes there is just nothing to say about a chapter that's like three pages long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna say about the chapter where like? It's just like the chapter where they are walking through the mansion and then they get to Midas and that's it. Where clearly he's just like picked out a paragraph break somewhere and been like, right, I need two chapters out of this. Yeah. Cut it in half. It's not even a specially good cliffhanger. Like, it's just like, oh, and then Coach Hedge did the obvious thing. He raised his club and said, die. Like, okay. Yeah, sure. I, I would have accepted that if Coach Hedge had actually killed him. Uh-huh. That'd be so... I want Coach Hedge to fucking kill someone so bad. <laughs> Listen, we, we're at the stage now where we're like, we can indirectly kill mortals. And if Coach Hedge does it, I think it counts as indirect. Like, if we if we crash Festus into them and crush their bodies, I technically Festus killed them. It was the blunt force trauma, not us. <laughs> Uh, one thing before we wrap up that I definitely want to talk about is the themes. The themes, characters, and facts. Mostly the themes here, but also characters. And I guess some of the facts, too, so you're exactly right. Hell yeah. Midas brings up, for the second time in this book, the idea that, like, stories have gotten twisted over time. Oh yeah, you're right. Because this happened first with Medea, talking about how, like, oh... Uh, you know, the story, it was exaggerated. I didn't really kill all my children and do all that. Like, there were elements that were changed over time, and it was kind of implied, this, like, she wasn't being entirely truthful, but that some of it was, in fact, changed over time. 
This story has been twisted by feminist scholars trying to re-examine the role of women in mythology, and Rick Ryden will not stand for it. <laughs> oh, I'm glad we finally make that joke on air. <laughs> God, it's so good. He just... Oh, man. Uh, and this time, King Midas is like, oh, you know, they said that I... It's kind of the opposite thing, because Medea is like, oh, you know, I actually didn't do the bad things that you know i didn't do all those bad things i only did a few bad things and midas is like actually i did more bad things than you know (laughs) (laughs) you're trying to turn me into a simple moral story but in fact i'm fucking horrible in fact i have no morals fuck you (laughs) turns you to gold what does this mean for the book that this is like the theme i guess or one of the themes uh i guess it's probably gonna end up playing into the overall plot because as you've mentioned this now, I just remembered it. It's also a thing with the giant war where, like, people, uh, a lot of the accounts about it seem to be conflicted and people say that there's, like, misinformation about it. Yeah. So I wonder if, if it's going to be kind of more of what we got about Percy Jackson and the Olympians, where the Olympians will, like, do quite a lot to, like, sanitize their own image. It's especially interesting because... Oh, fuck, I said it. Fine, whatever. Uh, It's especially interesting because, (laughs) like, the thing that happens here is, like, Rick is examining and using... uh, Rick is sort of interrogating the fact that, like, there is no one myth of anything. Mm -hmm. Like, if if something is thousands of years old, it's going to have multiple stories told about it, and they're going to conflict. And so we, there have been some instance of, instances of that before, but I feel like bringing... I was mostly this, used to hand wave away the incest in Egyptian mythology. <laughs> this is true. Oh, fuck, that's another Kane Chronicles t- thread. That's My God, inter- they're more interconnected than we thought. Wow. Uh, the intertextuality. Is it intertextuality if it was the same author? Uh, maybe it's just Rick running out of ideas. This is possible. <laughs> but, like... I think it's a really good move to bring it up specifically in this series where we are talking about the ways that culture over time, like changed the gods themselves. Yeah. And also because this is like taking place in the wake of the Titan war and we're like seeing the effects that it's had on the world, like since that happened. Mm-hmm. See, I hadn't noticed that, but that's a really good spot. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the fact is people, if you know about Greek myths, you're a lot, like, 10,000 times more likely to know about the stuff with the Titans than you are to know about the stuff with the Giants. hmm And that's what I think, uh, that's another aspect of this that really makes this stand, that, like, ties it all in a nice little bow. Uh, do you have much else to talk about before we wrap it up? Uh, let me see, let me, let me see. Uh, token Jason and Piper jealousy, not really worth talking about. Uh-huh. Oh, one last thing about the Hephaestus dream. Okay. Uh, which is just, I I like the way that, um, like, Hephaestus talks about those different aspects and, like, having different bits of his personality. Uh, and Leo is like, oh, well, I'm glad I don't have anything like that. That would suck. And then it goes immediately back to, like, beating himself up over every little thing and having, like, those horrible intrusive thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, I'm glad that I'm not mentally ill. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just again, it's another little thread between Hephaestus and Leo, which makes them feel like not necessarily closer, but more like aligned than other demigods and uh, gods that we've seen before. Yeah, they feel more genuinely like parent and child. Mm-hmm. Which I'm curious if that's just gonna show up more and more. Like we're gonna get more of those connections as we meet more like children meaning their gods, or if this is like a specific Leo and Hephaestus thing. Because I think. That, like, what if Aphrodite showed up and suddenly it was like, oh, fuck, I'm a lot like Aphrodite. Like, Piper had to confront that. Yeah, I guess I guess we could definitely get that because we've got that wiggle room with, like, the different aspects of them and the different, like, Roman forms. Uh-huh. Because, like, we have seen Aphrodite before and she's not very much like Piper. But you're right, we could definitely, like, get something more in that vein. Right. And, well, the fact is we've seen Hephaestus before, too. And he was like Leo, but I think him just being face-to-face with Leo really brings a lot more of it out. So Yeah, definitely. I wonder what else will be brought out of the character of Aphrodite if she is just, like, in a scene that's just with Piper. 
Yeah, I definitely enjoy that. I hope she's not just Big Drew. Big Drew energy. This cabin is being shut down by Big Drew. (laughs) Oh, man. But I think that's it for us today, probably. Yeah, I think so. These are good chapters. I like these a lot. Uh, Here's to hoping next week is just as good. Uh, I I did read the first two for next week, because we were originally thinking about maybe doing six this week. Uh, The first two are pretty good, so hopefully yes. Hell yeah. Uh, our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. We are hosted by the Moonshot Network. You can find them on Twitter at Moonshot Pods. And uh, you can listen to some of their wonderful shows. One podcast on the network that I've been really enjoying is the After School Anime Club podcast. They're talking about Tenshi Muyo, uh, which is an anime that I've never thought about before, but I've really enjoyed listening to it being talked about. Literally, the one thing I know about that is that it's a trashy harem series, right? Yeah, but it's like the tra- it's like the original trashy harem series. Oh, right, interesting. Our cover art is by Vera, who you can find at ins- at insmith underscore n on Twitter. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can find us on twittercom slash girls. There, we've got links to our email, personal twitters, our Discord, and our Patreon. If you want to support us, you can give us a five star rating review, or you can go to our Patreon and leave us a couple bucks. For a dollar a month, you get the role of camp counselor uh, in our Discord. For three dollars a month, you get the role of friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Uh, yep. Yeah, last week we. I feel like this has been a consistent theme where we just yell about Homestuck and Batman. That's basically what this podcast has been for like a couple of months now at this point. It'll change eventually, but like if you want to hear a lot of thoughts about Batman, then I will one hundred percent get burnt out on Batman at some point. I've watched I've consumed too much Batman media recently to not just like need a break from it soon. But we haven't reached that point yet. No, no. I surely we talked about something else too, right? Uh, we talked about Young Justice, but that's quite Batman adjacent. Oh, God damn it! Uh, I said that Ruby and Hell of a Boss were shit for like two sentences, and then we went back to talking about Batman. Yeah. Well, if you don't <laughs> like, if you don't like either of those shows, or you do like those shows, and you want to hear for two sentences Jane's opinion on them, then go listen to our bonus show. Hell yeah! For and for five dollars a month, you get the Discord role of Venus's Chosen all the bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of episodes. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank uh, Tana, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye.